Coming up, the last Sunday of our summer series. So our summer series has been all about becoming emotionally healthy people, or growing as emotionally healthy people. And I want to just go through the list, because we've covered, this is going to be the 12th topic this summer about emotional health. So we've talked about a lot of things. So I just want to like look at the list of everything we've talked about, and maybe think back about, man, which, which of these were the most helpful for me this summer, for those of you who were here. So the first week was called The Onion. It was kind of our intro and talked about how there, we just, there's more, we can always go deeper and God's peeling back more to get to what's going on inside. Uh, Jenny and Eddie McDonald talked about body matters, how our physical health is important. It's an act of worship and relates to our emotional health. Um, Sagar Palani talked about root to fruit. And that was all about being rooted in our relationship with God and a personal relationship and reading the Bible and connecting with him and how it's that life-giving relationship that brings fruit in our lives. Then we talked about the rhythm of the Sabbath and the importance of rest in our lives. We talked about being anxiety-free. God, we all like accomplish that, right? We're living 100% anxiety-free. Uh, going back to go forward. Looked at going, looking backwards in our lives in order to go forward, dealing with stuff from the past. Going through the wall, Rob and Rachel Zeman talked about that, and how there are walls in our lives and stuff we run into where God is wanting to bring a breakthrough in our life as we release power and control to him. Bo and Aja Banner talked about stop, clarify, and listen. That was some good relational skills right there. Then when uh, Elaine Wisdom talked about enlarging your souls through grief and loss. Reagan, my wife Reagan and I talked about I, thou, singleness, and marriage. And then last week we talked about confessing our sins to another person. So I just want to ask you, anybody got one? You're like, man, that one really helped me this summer. And if, well, I hope I know if people have stuff. Because if not, I'm going to be very depressed. And just fake it for me, please. No. But no, what were some of the most helpful things? What the, just like in just a couple sentences, what has God done in somebody's life this summer? Catherine. Um, I think the most helpful was to going back to go forward because I realized I didn't really know that much about like my family's past and stuff like that. And so I actually learned um, that like loss, there's quite a few people in my family that are like in ministry, like kind of like different cousins and stuff. So that was really encouraging to me. And then also like being able to like heal from things in the past and like cut off generational ties for some people. Wow, that was awesome. <laughs> a great summer of breakthrough right there. Going back to go forward. Great. Thanks, Catherine. Who else has something? Matt. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great just relational skill. That it's so easy for us to fall into thinking we can read people's minds and act and in, in doing that and oftentimes being wrong. Yeah, that's awesome. Look at one more. One more. Yeah, Jisa. Uh-huh.
Oh, that's great. Isn't it so freeing that when you confess your sins, and there's a lot Jesus talked about, but that last bit, confessing our sins to somebody else as she did to Abulia, really God does a powerful work in our hearts and frees us from that baggage and the weight and the stuff that's holding us down, and we can receive his grace. Well, good. Well, I know we could probably spend the whole day talking about this, but that's so encouraging. I want to thank you all for really engaging over the summer. And I've heard a lot more stories. And I also really want to thank our community group leaders who have really laid down their lives and served and uh, led the, the application discussions and exercises during the week. Um, thank you so much for opening up your lives and your homes to help other people to experience more of what God has for them too. So thank you. Today, we are, as I said, we're doing our last topic of the summer. Not that we've covered everything, but Today is about, it's called developing a rule of life. Developing a rule of life. Now, if you're like me, and a lot of people, when you hear the word rule, you might get a little nervous. Like, wait, no, I don't, that's my whole fear about religion, is that you're putting rules on me. And a lot of us have experienced unhealthy religious environments or activities, even in, or just tendencies in us, where it's easy to take what should be about a life-giving relationship with God and bringing his love to others. And it easily can be reduced and distorted into just being about following rules. And so that's not what we're talking about today. But this, 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 this phrase, rule of life, actually comes back from, the, from ancient times or early Christian history. It's really a, a term that developed from the monastics. So like the monks and the nuns who, who lived cloistered away in, in lives of intentionality and solitude to a degree. And a rule of different, different orders, different religious orders, would have their own rule of life. And that basically describes the, the, the rhythm of their days that they commit to. So certain orders, would they would have prayer at 5 a.m. and then 11 and then 4 and then midnight. That's, and then they would work from... 1 to 4 and 10 to noon or whatever it is. There were a certain order where they're organizing their life in order to put first things first and cultivate their relationship with God and his work in their life. And so that's really the idea. The word really, it comes from, from the word for a trellis, like for a grapevine. It's the idea that there's this, this vine, but grapes don't grow very well on their own. They need a trellis. They need a support structure to help them grow better. And we actually have some tomatoes in our little garden at our house. Yeah, there's, you can't really see it too well, but there's just, it's a big, it's a lot of life in our, in our garden. There's these tomato plants are just going all over the place and right now they're just loaded with fruit. There's so many tomatoes on those things. But what's holding it all up is these tomato cages and this metal sort of fence that we have in front of it. And the vines are able to grow up because of that cage and then the, the branches go out and they spread out, and that supports the plant and allows it to be fruitful. But without that, it'd just be all over the ground and it, it would not be nearly as fruitful, and, but that structure produces something. And so really that's what we're talking about. Is it's easy to, to, to like the idea of following God, loving God, loving others, being emotionally healthy, but if we don't have some intentionality about it, we're like a tomato plant that's just going on the ground and not really doing much. And there's, there's some, there's some, so there's some spiritual, there's some practices, some choices 
that are essential for us to implement in our life. And so today, as we're, we're wrapping up, we really are saying, okay, those are a lot of good ideas we talked about this summer, but what's my rule of life? What are the intentional practices that I am putting in my life in order to grow in an intentional way? And, you know, that's, it's so important. I mean, you think you can't even, you can't have a kid's t-ball team without a Parks and Rec t-ball team without a rule of life, right? You've got to have, like, a few practices and games. I mean, there are times where the team comes together, and that's the whole structure that, that makes the thing happen. So that's what we're talking about this morning. Uh, there's a connection between, between a rule of life, or another way to say that is discipline. There's a connection between discipline and emotional health. There's a connection between order and emotional health. In fact, when God made the first people, he told them, he put them on earth and he said, rule over it and exercise dominion and spread my kingdom in the world. In the world. That word, we're made to be rulers. We're made to bring God's order, to change things, to organize things the way God wants it to be. And we're like, yeah, that sounds great. But then sometimes ruling the world sounds easier than ruling our own lives, right? Ruling our own schedules and our temptations and just all the, the busyness of life and all the stuff that comes at all of us can easily take over. And so it's, it's, it, we have to be intentional about this. Our, our main scripture today is 1 Timothy chapter 4. And starting in verse, verse 6, we're going to read verses 6 through 10 and just talk through this. And wanna, let me pray for us as before, we, before we go any farther. Father, thank you that you have something for us today, that you're doing something today. God, would you quicken your word? Would you speak to our hearts what you want us to hear? Lord, we come to you and we say we want to listen and we want to apply what you're doing in our lives this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Verse 6 says, If you put these things, this is Paul the Apostle writing to his spiritual son Timothy. He says, If you put these things that he's been teaching him about before the brothers and, and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. So he's given, Paul's given Timothy instruction, words, you could say a rule of life for himself and for the churches that he's serving. It's interesting that that word, uh, being trained in the words of the faith, a lot of translations translate that being nurtured in the words of the faith. And so it could be translated either way, nurtured, or trained. And so again, we go back to the tomato plant or the grapevine, that nurturing and training are connected. There's no nurture without training. There's no good training without nurturing. So God is, it's emotional health is connected to training and directing our lives in the right direction. He says, and the words of the faith and the good doctrine that you have followed. I like how that, that word the is there, the faith. A lot of times we think faith is purely subjective and purely individual, purely personal. Like, I have my personal faith with God. It's kind of like, hey, what's truth? That's your truth. This is my truth. We all have our own truths. But this is saying, no, there is the faith. There is, there are the, the message of who Jesus is and how we follow him and how we're transformed by him and how he's changing the world. That is something that is not just for us to, to choose on our own, but it's a lifestyle that God has 
put in front of us. Um, and it's not just mental thoughts. We oftentimes think of, think of faith as just what we're believing in our head. But that word faith, it also it involves the idea of trust, but it also involves the ideas of faithfulness, of allegiance, of devotion, it, of trustworthiness. And so if we have faith, there's, it's not just like, oh, I believe that God is God, but because of that, and I believe he died for the sins of the world, I am becoming more and more faithful to him, living a life of allegiance to him, living a life of devotion to him. Does that make sense? You guys are quiet this morning. You've got to help me out here. We're getting a little energy in the room this morning. All right, that's better. Good. Verse, uh, verse 7, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Hmm, there we go. You know, I think that's interesting because we'd be like, oh, yeah, they had irreverent, silly myths back in their time. But what are the irreverent, foolish myths that we believe in our culture? What are the things we believe on a day-to-day basis about where our happiness comes from? Or what we can do and what we can't do, or what we have time for and what we don't have time for? There are a lot of silly myths that we fall prey to so easily. So don't have anything to do with those. Rather, train yourselves, train yourself for godliness. There's that word train again. And this time, the, the original language Greek word train is the word is gymnazo. And if you look at it, it's, it looks like gymnasium, and because it's the same root word. And so the idea, it was, it was the, the Greek word for an athlete, literally it means to train while naked. Because that's how the Greek athletes trained. So they went to their place and they stripped down, you know, those, those Roman robes weren't very, they were kind of cumbersome, got in the way of peak performance. So they stripped down, they were either naked or they wore a loincloth. And so training means getting naked and getting after it, basically. That's what training is. It's stripping off all the stuff that is comfortable and normal and gets, that could get in the way of you developing yourself into something more. And so that's what Paul's saying. He said, hey, train yourself. Strip off all the stuff, all the distractions, all the things that are just normal, and be focused in order to, to develop into the full person that God wants you to be. Train yourself for godliness. Like godliness oftentimes is hard to understand, but really the idea is it's a place of, of reverence to God. It's a place of, of recognizing God as God that leads to devotion in our life. It leads to seeing every aspect of our life as worship. Every moment of our day, not just coming to church on Sunday morning, but when I wake up, how I relate with other people, how I organize my schedule, what I do with my time. This is all organizing my life for worship to the one who's worthy of everything. And that doesn't just happen naturally, right? That's why we have to train ourselves for godliness. Because we just, we're like those tomato things that don't, plants that don't do very well on their own. Train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, Godliness is a value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and is deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive. Toil and strive? That doesn't sound very Christian. I thought it was all about grace. We toil and strive. That word strive, it's, if you see it in Greek, it's like it's agonizai or something like that. It's the same word as agony. The toil, man, no, I thought this was emotional health. How is agony related to emotional health? But sometimes 
it feels a little arduous to deal with the stuff we need to deal, to deal with to get to a place of emotional health. For this end we toil and strive because we have set our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Train yourself for godly, godliness. So the idea of a rule of life is because I love God, I'm aligning every part of my life with him and his ways. This isn't a matter of, of, oh, of works, not grace. It's no, because, because God's grace is real, it does something in me, and I, it produces works that honor God through my lifestyle. And so a rule of life is tapping into the, the grace of God, but then directing our lives in a way that can actually help us grow and bring blessing to others. Um, all right, you know, it's, I love how just practical God is. When I look at the things that have made the biggest difference in my life, it was a lot of just point-blank challenges from other people. I think about when I was, I was 15 years old, and I went to a Christian intensive worldview camp experience for a week. And there was a lot of stuff there was in that experience. There was a lot, of, so a lot of it was really good. A lot of it I'd be like, you know, I don't know if I agree with that now. But there was one moment that made a huge difference in my life. And that was when the leader of this camp, who was an older gentleman, who'd been following God for decades, he looked at us in a room full of teenagers, and he said, basically he challenged us to wake up every morning and set aside time to spend with God and read the Bible, and pray. And he said, that will make a huge difference in your life if you devote time in your day, every day, to meet with God first thing. And he said, who will do that? Who, is, who believes, who wants to do this? And I knew, as, as soon as he said that, I knew, you know, that's how I was made to live. That, was, that, that is what I want, really. I want to live my life with starting my day, putting God first. And so, I can't even remember how we indicated a response, but in, internally, I made a decision that day that, okay, I'm going to do that. And you know what? I started a practice, not perfectly, but I started setting my alarm a little bit earlier and getting up. And I remember I had, I had to leave my house at 7.30 to go to school every day, like most of you did in high school. But I remember, okay, I just set a little earlier, start spending time with God. And that discipline, that rule of life started bringing, developing my relationship with God in a whole new way. And that's something, I look back like, that has shaped my life ever since then. Uh, it's the most important thing probably going on in my life. I remember being in college and hearing another pastor talking, and he said, in my church, we have a basic expectation of the hour of power. That if you're in our church, we expect that you're spending an hour with God every day. Reading the Bible, meditating on the Word, building your faith. And again, I, we don't have that as a rule here, but that's at least the time frame. But I remember going, you know what? Yeah, I'm not doing that, but I, I'm, I, actually I was doing that quite a bit, but I knew, you know what? That's a basic, like, I want to do at least that. And so that kind of took my relationship with God to a whole nother level as that, that, or, that rule of life just started forming a structure that helped me to develop my relationship with God. I think about, like Reagan mentioned, tithing. I remember being a little kid and my parents just teaching us. The first money we got, it was always, okay, you always 
give God, God all of it's God's. And one way we show that and honor him and trust him is by giving him the first 10%. And I'm so thankful that my parents taught me that when I was little because it's a lot easier to develop these habits and patterns when, you're, when you don't have any money than when you have more money and you have other obligations and expectations. And so those basic, like, those are just a few things that have made a huge difference in, in my life. We see this all through. If you look at people who are emotionally healthy, whether they're even if, in any sphere of life, if you look at people who live the kind of lives that you're like, man, I, I'm impressed by that life, they all live this way. They all have a rhythm and commitments in their life that they're devoted to. They have practices that they organize their life around. One of the best examples of this in the Bible is Daniel. And Daniel is a guy that just, he had so much integrity that he was, his relationship with God was so faithful that everything he did flowed out of that relationship with God. It was consistent from his inside to his external. And he faced some very tough things. He was taken as a slave, as probably when he was a teenager, from the nation of Israel and taken into captivity in Babylon. And then he was chosen by the king to be in, in the inner court of training to be one of the kind of the wise men of that empire. And right away, early on, Daniel faced a moral crisis where the food that they were serving the young men in this training violated the Hebrew dietary laws that in the Old Testament followers of, of God had to follow. And so he had, to, he had to wrestle with, what am I going to do with that? And he talked to his buddies and they they talked to the captain of the guard, and they said, hey, look, we, we can't do this because of our faithfulness to our God. Will you give us a chance to eat vegetables and what's allowed in, in, our, in our faith? And the guy said, oh, man, it's really risky. You, you might look really skinny and scrawny. You're, you're passing over all the protein and good food here, but I'll give you a little time. And so he gave them a little time, and lo and behold, they were healthier and stronger and wiser than everybody else. And God came through because he... Let God's word direct his life. And then, a little bit later, the famous story of, of Daniel in the lion's den happened. And actually, a, a lot later. This is when Daniel was a very old man. It was a few kings later. It was a whole different empire. The Persian Empire, now is King Darius. And amazingly, because of Daniel's integrity and faithfulness, he had served in influential places in multiple kingdoms over his whole life, from a teenager to being a, a very old man. But the, at this time, it was, it was a newer, uh, it was a different situation, and some of the other wise men were jealous of Daniel. And said, the only way we'll be able to get him is to make a law that calls him to not be faithful to his God. So they, they convinced the king to pass a law that, that nobody could pray to anybody but him for a month. And the king, like most of us, was kind of arrogant. He was like, that sounds like a good idea, yeah. Nobody prays to me for a month. So he passed the law. And this is what happened next. In Daniel 6.10, we read that when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. So the law is don't pray to God. What does Daniel do? I think I would have been like, you know, usually I open the door and pray towards Jerusalem, but let's just be smart about this. Like, I can still be faithful to God, but I'll just do it secretly. Do it in my bedroom. Do it in, 
do it in private. But Daniel was so committed to this rule of life that no, I am not going to compromise. I'm not going to change what I'm doing because of external pressure or because of the consequences. And I'm praying towards Jerusalem. I'm praying for God's people. I'm praying for him to restore our people. And so I'm just going to keep following my, my rule of life no matter what. And you know, that led to this, one of the most famous stories in history of God delivering Daniel from, from the lion's den. And so it's not a coincidence that Daniel flourished so much because his faith and loyalty towards God and his love for people was played out in the very practical decisions of his life. So what does that, how does, what does that leave us with? Well, basically today, we're going to talk about different, the rest of our time, like what aspects of a rule of life can look like. And it could be a little overwhelming because I'm just going to give you a broad picture of these are four different areas of life. These are some things to look at. But some of you, a lot of you are like, yeah, I'm already doing these. Some of you are like, man, I'm not doing any of that. But the goal is that you would, not that you would try to do too much, but that there would be maybe one or two things that stand out where God would be speaking to you this morning about saying, hey, you know, I think that's an area of my life where God is speaking to me to be more intentional and have a plan in that area. So, or one, one or two practices that I can start following. So the four areas to look at are spiritual practices, rest, relationships, and work or activity. Spiritual practices, rest, relationships, or your work, your other activities. I want to give a few examples in each of these. In, under spiritual practices, some key ones are scripture, reading the Bible, meditating on God's word, developing a relationship with God through his word, learning who he is and his commandments and, and his ways, his promises, spending time being devoted to the scripture. Prayer goes hand in hand with that, but time, talking to God, listening to God, bringing our requests to him, developing a relationship with him, and prayer. Again, that's all weaves together, but silence and solitude. We talked about that this summer. The importance of getting away from things and having times of, of quiet, times of just listening, getting away from all the distractions and our phones and media and technology and all that and just, okay, God, I'm going to listen to you. What are you saying to me today? Times of being alone, alone with him. And then the whole area of study can, can be in this. So studying God's word, studying God's principles, learning how he calls us to live and applying it in every, in every area of our lives. In the area of rest, we spent a whole Sunday this summer talking about Sabbath and what that means and how woven into God's creation is this pattern of work and rest and work and rest. And it's one of the important ways we honor God is by Sabbathing, by, by starting from a place of rest and ideally living from a place of rest, of trusting in not our efforts and what we do, but in who he is and his provision and his abundance. And having a day set aside for that, having time set aside for that. So under rest, there's Sabbath, there's play and recreation. We talked about how the Sabbath is supposed to be a delight. 
It's supposed to be something very life-giving, enjoyable, times of just recreation, delight. Um, the area of, of simplicity is another aspect of this. Um, living simpler lives. You know, one of the things that keeps us from rest is that we have too much going on, right? And we overcommit. We overperform. We overexert. We have too much going on. And so just some simple things like, okay, what is, is that? For some people, it's, man, maybe I need to get rid of cable or because that's a distraction. A lot of you are like, cable, what's that? I just get all my stuff free from online. But whatever, it's like narrowing the media options. It might be like, yeah, I've got five credit cards. I need maybe just one or you know, zero, maybe better than that. But you know, just one debit card for, for everything. Just simplifying things. Tithing is another place of simplicity where we're saying, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to engage in spiritual warfare against the materialism of our age. It says I have to have more and more and more and just keep spinning. I'm going to say, no, God is first. And I don't need everything. I can live simpler. I can say no to some things. I can put God first in my finances and try to have a, commit to a simpler lifestyle that's not consumed by, by stuff. So simplicity. Under relationships, there's so much more we could say about this, but uh, being intentional about our own emotional health, that we can't be a good, we're, the, the healthier we are, the better friend we're going to be to other people. And so we have to be getting our needs met from God and growing and working through our issues and becoming, growing as emotionally healthy people. Uh, it's uh, under relationships as family. How are we cultivating our spending time with our family? That might be as simple as having meals together. Radical idea, I know. But, oh wow, we're eating. Let's actually do that together. That's one thing our family tries to be intentional about. Is, okay, this is the time where we can invest in our relationships. Um, that, you do that with your roommates, too. Uh, okay, this is where I can, I can spend time with, my, with, with my, these important people. Community. Having a few trusted companions that you're investing in those relationships. And people you can share anything with. And building those relationships with, with the community. Uh, small group is, is another aspect of that. And then under work or activity, just a few things would be service and mission. What, what am I doing? What's my mission? How am I being intentional about that? How am I taking care of my body? Again, we talked about that this summer. But one of the, especially in our society where it's so easy to be, have a sedentary life, where we're sitting around and it's very unhealthy, being intentional about what am I eating? How am, am I exercising? How am I taking care of my physical health in order to bring something to the rest of my life and just honor God and serve God and others with, with, my, with my health? I know some, for me, a lot of times when I, when I, I like to go running, and a lot of times when I start out, I'm not feeling too great. And one of the things that helps me the most is saying, okay, this isn't because I'm trying to be like Mr. Fit, but God, I'm doing this as an act of worship to you today. I am running today. I'm exercising today because I want my body to be useful for you and for others. And that just changes things. It's like, okay, yeah, that's, there's something important in what I'm doing right now. Um, and again, study is another area where where we can be intentional, have a rule of life in our, our work and activities. Um, so this looks different for every person. I think it would be interesting to go around the room and see what the different practices that are here. Um, for me, like, this is something I've been pretty intentional about for a while. And I remember even in the early 2000s really hearing about this concept of a rule of life. And I was part of a class that helped develop 
people's personal rule of life. And I just recently saw, and I started like writing things down. And one of those, in 2003, I wrote down some of those patterns, and I got it taped on the inside of one of my desk drawers to see. And I'm like, wow, 2003, that was 16 years ago. My life has really been shaped by those practices that I was intentional with to a greater degree starting in 2003. For me, some of the things are daily time with God in the morning. I talked about that already. Um, reading through the Bible in a year, that's, that's what I'm doing this year. A lot of us are doing with the Bluemont Reading Plan. It's something that's been a really helpful way for me uh, multiple years. Uh, just being intentional about practicing the presence of God throughout the day, listening to God, taking, taking a minute, checking in with God. Okay, God, I'm listening. What do you have to say? Okay, I need to realign my thoughts with you. Practicing the Sabbath faithfully, exercise. Um, and then my time and conversation and play with my wife, with Reagan, being intentional about that. My time and conversation and play with our, our kids. And then a couple others, th those are all ones that I think I'm pretty good with. The last couple are ones that I'm more like working on. They, they tend to be the ones that are less established in my life. One of my rules of life that I aim for is, is 10 hours a week of evangelism. That's 10 hours a week I'm trying to be with people that don't know Christ and building relationships with them and, and seeking to, to, get, to have opportunities to, to help them know God. Um, in some ways, all of these things really for me, they're not because I'm a pastor. They're just because I'm a disciple of Jesus. Now, some of the, the last couple, of, I might have a little more time for them because I'm a pastor, but actually a lot of you have more time with lost people than I do just in your normal life. I have to sort of like force it to happen sometimes. Um, and then I have a top 10 relationships that I'm looking at every week. Okay, who are the top 10 people that God's calling me to invest in and spend time with and be, be intentional with? And so that's one of my, part of my rule of life. And then some ongoing learning. I'm trying to always be reading something, reading something new that's just stretching me, taking me to a new place. I actually just signed up to, to learn biblical Greek or the like, ancient Greek that the Bible was written with. I've got a pastor friend who teaches his homeschool kids and other homeschool kids biblical Greek occasionally, and he's invited other pastors to join them, like me, who haven't really learned biblical Greek. And so I said yes, because I was like, I've always wanted to do that, and if I don't do it now, I'll probably never do it. But I'm going to be in a room with these elementary school homeschool kids, <laughs> and here I am, learning Greek with them. So that's, I'm kind of excited about that. We'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, but that's just, those are some areas of my life. It's, it's different for every one of us. Um, one more thing is, is that as a church, we have basically a rule of life. We have, if those of you who have been through our Experiencing Christian Community membership class, we talk about what are the, what's the lifestyle that we agree to as a church? And those are very closely related to what I just talked about personally, but while we're here, I'm just going to go through this. As a church, our rule of life is a commitment to doctrine. We, we subscribe to the essential truths of the Christian faith as set forth in the creeds and confessions of the historic Christian church. And we agree with the tenets, with the tenets of the Apostles' Creed. We have a commitment individually and corporately to spiritual growth. So we're personally committed to growth through the Bible reading, through reading the Bible and, and praying individually. We have a commitment to harmony, so that may be the hardest one of all sometimes, but no, it's committing to, to working through issues with other people and 
each of us individually having a responsibility to have harmony and extend forgiveness and great relationships with other people. We have a commitment of support. We say we will cheerfully give of our time, our talent, and our treasure. So time that includes like Sunday morning attendance and being part of a small group, investing in other relationships. Talent is using our spiritual gifts and serving others, serving in our church, serving outside the church. And then treasure, using our finances and other resources to support the mission of God. And then finally, a commitment to the Great Commission. Our rule of life as a church is saying, I want to do my part. And it's all of us as a community saying, we want to reach our friends and family members and be intentional about sharing the gospel with others. All right. I know I've covered a lot of things here this morning. Um, we, as I said, the goal is that we would be looking at our own just lifestyle and intentionality and taking, looking at how, am I, do I have a good rule of life? Do I have a good rhythm and commitments that are helping me to grow and worship God? And are there one or two things that maybe God is prompting me to be intentional about right now? Uh, before, we're going we're gonna to take part in communion together in a minute and really just be asking God to help us lead us in this. I want to just ask, though, are there any questions about, I know this is kind of a different, a little different flow this morning, but any questions about anything? Natalie, yeah. yeah. I guess with, like, the role of life of God, maybe here it's easy to, like, overpack yourself, like, just being disciplined for the sake of discipline. What's a good, like, I don't know, warning sign that you're overfilling yourself? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. If you didn't hear, Natalie asked, how do you know if you're not letting this rule of life take over your life and kind of be overly obsessed? And that's not how she said it, but get, like it can become the monster. It, it can be like actually crushing the tomato plant instead of helping the tomato plant to flourish. And I know I've been there. We've probably all been there where we've taken on too much. Um, so how do you know if you're there? I would say... If you're, if you're just trying to do it, it's not producing life in you. If it's producing death instead of life, then there's probably too much going on. It's more of like, okay, that's not life-giving, that's not helping, but I'm feeling strained by this instead of that it's helping me to grow. Um, I think also if it's, if it's taking away from the, our relationship with God, if we're actually like doing all this stuff to serve God, but we have less connection with God, Okay, that's maybe, that's not the whole point. Or if our relationships with other people also are not thriving. These things should help our relationship with God and with others to thrive. And so if, if that's taken away from that, then it's maybe become a monster instead of a, a trellis. I'd, I'd start there. I think those are some good, good things to look at. Great question. I like it. Any other questions? Yeah, Emily. That's good. What's the most impactful spiritual practice for me? I think there, that's important to know. It's, I'm just talking for me because there are so many, there's zillions of great spiritual practices out there. And everybody has, it's important to kind of figure out what's best for you with your personality and so forth. But 
probably what I'm going to say, though, I think I would say this is a good staple for everybody, actually, is just reading a passage of scripture and meditating on it, saying, God, what do you want to speak to me from this before I read it? And then slowly reading through that psalm or that section of scripture, asking the Holy Spirit to make it come alive and speak to me. And then I, I have a notebook that I always um, use, have with me in the mornings at least. And then I, I'm looking for what are the scriptures that, that jump out or that stand out to me, and I usually write that down. And then when I'm really on my game, I'm thinking about that during the day. Like I'm going back to it and really meditating on just kind of saying the words over and thinking about it and thinking about how letting it shape my thoughts and my heart and then also my actions from there. That would be my top choice. Like that question. Good. Any others? All right. Well, we're going to take part in communion now. And I think this is great because as we, t- as we receive communion, we're really centering ourselves back on the reality that everything that we have is, is from God and through what Jesus did on the cross for us. And that our life and our ability to live the life he's called us to is not through self-discipline, but it's through his grace. It's through trusting in him and receiving his grace in our life in a way that then transforms us and, and flows out to others. I want to read in, in Luke 22, this is the story of when Jesus first instituted communion, the first Lord's Supper. Luke 22, 17, it says, He took a cup, and when he had given thanks, this is Jesus, when Je- Jesus took a cup, when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my, lo- in my blood. It's important that that word covenant is used here. A covenant is what we, we talk about marriage being a covenant. It's a solemn, sacred joining together of two parties in devotion to one another. And communion is really a reaffirming and even deepening establishing of our covenant with God. It's, it's not, and it, it's essential that it starts with what he did for us, not what we do for him. That the covenant is based on his blood, that he took his body and gave it for us. He spilled his blood and gave it for us. He said, I'm all in. I am directing my life for you. I'm directing my life to bring life to you. And our response is to say, Lord, thank you. I'm so unworthy, but I thank you and I receive by faith the grace you've extended to me. And then as you transform me, and because you're working in my life, 
I also want to respond covenantally to you. I want to offer my life fully for you and for what you're all about. And really, as we take part in, in communion, this is something that's it's important that we don't just do it as an empty ritual. And this is really only for those of us that have put our trust in Jesus and are in a place of saying, yes, I am affirming that covenant with him. There's no pressure here um, it's for anybody to take it. But if for those of us that are saying this morning, then yes, I want to affirm that covenant with God. And I want to receive his grace in a fresh way and offer my life to him. We're, we're taking communion together. So let's, let's bow our heads and let's take a minute, take a couple minutes. I want to give space for each of us in our own, our own heart and our own life to come before God. And remember what he's done for us. And then offer our lives to him in the way that he's leading us to. Lord, even as we, as we sit here quietly, would you speak to us? And Lord, we want to we hear and we want to respond to you in a fresh way. And offer our lives to you in a fresh way. Just take a, take a minute and, and have some time with God. Whatever you need to do right now. Someone at your table could go ahead and, and pour the juice into cups. That would be great. Let's, let's pray together once more. Lord, we thank you for giving your life to give us fullness of life. This morning, we receive the bread and the cup that represents your body and blood given for us, and we receive afresh your healing, your forgiveness, your comfort, your encouragement, and your empowering to live the lives you called us to. Thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, take a minute and take that together at your tables, and then we're going to worship God with one more song.